0: Now, when we come to chapter 18, we come to a rather unusual experience, and it's the last experience, by the way. We have here Moses turning to worldly wisdom rather than to revelation. God has been leading him by revelation directly, and now Moses is turning, and he's going to listen to his father-in-law. His father-in-law is going to come visit him. And Moses is going to listen to him, which, of course, he should not. Now, this is all quite interesting here and rather important, too. To begin with, Moses has come into the land of Midian now with the children of Israel. They're going by Mount Sinai. And now the father-in-law of Moses brings his wife to him. And while he's there, why, Jethro has a nice little visit with Moses. Now, I want us to notice this, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah. Moses' wife, after he'd sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses, into the wilderness where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro am come unto thee, and thy wife, and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh, and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh." who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein thou dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, the thing that interests me here, and I wonder if you noticed it as we read this extended section, is that the father-in-law of Moses brought his wife to him, and apparently there was a marvelous relationship between Moses and his father-in-law. In fact, they seem to be buddies, as we would use the term. They seem to be very close together. Moses tells him all that God has done for him, how God had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and Jethro's interested in it. In fact, he shows a great interest in it, and he enters into this in a very marvelous way. He is interested in Moses and reveals that. And you notice that when Moses went out to meet them, his father-in-law and his wife Why, we're told here that Moses kissed his father-in-law. but nothing about kissing his wife or the two sons. Somebody says, well, Moses wrote this. Yes, that's right. And I wonder again, now we've talked about Moses' family life before, and I'm not going into it again other than just call your attention to this, that it confirms the thing that we said, that... The family relationship was probably not as it should have been. But because of the way God has led the children of Israel, and I think that probably Moses' father-in-law was rather skeptical when Moses announced he was going back to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. I'm sure that he told the neighbors, I don't know what's come over my son-in-law. He's got some pretty big notions. He thinks God's called him to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And I just don't believe that the God he serves can do that. Well, God did do it. And apparently this has brought now Jethro to a saving knowledge of God. And this is very important to see. And we see he offers a burnt offering here. Now we find that the father-in-law decides to stay for a little while. Verse 13, "...it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people... He said, "'What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening?' And Moses said unto his father-in-law, "'Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws.' And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to form it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. "...be thou for the people to Godward, and thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. Then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, somebody is apt to say, well, what in the world is wrong with this? You seem to think that there's something wrong here. Well, may I say to you that on the surface, everything looks fine. Moses' father-in-law obviously loved him, had great respect for him and was enthusiastic about him. And he's come out now, and he's brought Moses' wife to him. And so he hangs around for a few days for a visit, and then he sees how busy Moses is judging the people. So he comes up with a suggestion to lighten the load of Moses. Now, somebody is apt to say, well, what in the world is wrong with that? It doesn't seem to me to be anything radically wrong there at all. Well, there are two kinds of wisdom in this world. Someone has said, the poet has, when ignorance is blessed is folly to be wise. Now, actually, this passage here teaches when it's foolish to be wise. And the thing that Moses' father-in-law was suggesting was the wisdom of the world. That was not God's wisdom, and it was not the thing God wanted done. This incident reveals how easy it is to accept the wisdom of the world and to follow the pattern of the world and not look to God. I personally believe that today the reason that most of our churches are in trouble is because men have been brought into the church and put on a board are given a place of prominence, a high position, because they are men who've been successful in business and out in the business world, they've made a go of it. But they have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And therefore, the church has attempted to put in the methods of the world, the program of the world. And that just simply doesn't work. I'm perfectly willing to say that the suggestions... And the recommendations that Moses' father-in-law made were good ones. It would take the load off of Moses. It would expedite matters. It would be orderly. It would conserve time. And it has all of that that makes it look like a very attractive package. And his suggestion was a sincere one. He meant well. He was prompted by a concern for the health of Moses. And you can't help but love him for this. He was anxious about Moses. And we also need to know this was not God's will, but God permitted it. Here you have the permissive will of God. If God would only stop us when we're wrong, it'd sure be helpful, by the way. But he permits it. He permits us sometimes when we go on headstrong with adopting methods that are contrary to what he wants done. Now, let's make a careful examination of this. I read all of this purposely to you today. And I think it'll take a careful examination to discover the subtle and sinister character of this man's advice. Notice, first of all, God had given no such instructions to Moses. It actually questioned the wisdom, the judgment, and the love of God. In other words, God wasn't doing the best that he could about Moses. Now, if God really loved Moses and cared for him, God would have made this suggestion a long time ago. And friends, I can hear the hiss of the serpent that was back in the Garden of Eden here. Because you remember, that was a suggestion to Eve. Oh, if you could only eat of that tree, you'd be wise. And God just hadn't permitted you to do that. In other words, God's not doing the best that he could by you. Now, if this had been best, God would have made this arrangement before. But it wasn't best. Now, that's something to note. There's a second thing here. God was dealing with Moses directly. He was equipping him for the great task of delivering this people. And God did not want a third party brought in. He didn't want the introduction of a party which would dissipate or insulate the power of God coming directly to Moses. You remember, God spoke face-to-face with Moses. And there is the tendency to want things and persons come between us and God. There are a great many people who do not like to do business directly with God, They like to go through a man or a church or a ceremony or through something or even a book or go to a conference. All of these have their place, but, friends, we need to go directly to God. And God was dealing with Moses directly, and he didn't want this crowd in there. Now, there's a third thing to note here when you look at it in depth. It created an organization out of which came the seventy later on. And the seventy were the Sanhedrin. And one night, oh, about 1,500 years after this, that Sanhedrin met and plotted the death of the Son of God. My friend, Moses didn't need this organization. God gave Moses power for the task and these arduous duties. These seventy men were not any more efficient for God than one. After all, it's the Spirit that quickeneth. And I want to say something at this particular juncture. There are people today in the church that feel like that what we need is the right method. We need to adopt the right method. And right now we've got a bunch of preachers that are acting rather foolish and, I think, rather silly. They're trying to identify themselves with this now generation. And they say they want to communicate. We have a seminary in Southern California that majors in this type of thing of being able to identify and communicate. And do you know that I never hear of them really reaching down and touching human life in Southern California? They just don't do it, friends. You see, today... God doesn't have to have a method or an organization or numbers or a system or some to come between or a ritual of good works. You see, the wisdom of God sweeps all of this aside, and there's nothing between our soul and God, and there's no broken reed to lean upon. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of man are contradictory. So much so that if one is wisdom, the other is foolishness. And God says the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. Oh, if I could only get this over today to our seminaries, even so-called good seminaries training our young men, that today they need to have the intellectual approach. They need to be clever and that type of thing. God has said, it's not with enticing words of man's wisdom, and it's not in the words which man's wisdom teach it. And the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, and the wisdom that's from above is the wisdom we need today. And therefore, the thing that's important here, and it's a tremendous lesson for us today, we need the power of God, not more methods Different methods are new methods.